Thanks, Leanne. Thanks, Kip, for leading. Man, almost busted my throat. Yeah. Yeah, what an awesome, awesome time to be together. Uh, this morning, um, before we get into the message, I want to talk a little bit about missions and invite a friend to come up and share just a few words about uh, a mission in Ukraine. You know probably that Sycamore View has been engaged in missions internationally for a long time. And most of you know we're currently supporting missionaries in Zambia, in Panama, in Greece. And you also know that we've supported mission efforts in Ukraine since the 1990s. But over the past few years, uh, we have contributed to a missionary salary named Dima um, in Ukraine, a humanitarian effort called Let, Let's Love, and the Ukrainian Bible Institute. And while Dima is still very much involved in the work of God, in, the, in kingdom work, he changed professions last year, which we talked about. So the financial commitment we had to him is currently being saved up as our international missions ministry team considers new possibilities for new mission efforts. But we continue to be committed to sending money uh, each year and praying for uh, two ministries in Ukraine. We continue to be involved in Let's Love, which is still involved with DEMA. So you still hear about DEMA, even though he's not officially a Sycamore View missionary because he's very much involved with Let's Love. And then secondly, we're also involved in the Ukrainian Bible Institute. And uh, both of these organizations are doing incredible things on the ground, day in, day out, uh, to further the kingdom of God in Ukraine. And this morning, I'd like to invite my new friend. I just met him face to face for the first time this morning. Uh, this is Brandon Price. He's the director of the Ukrainian Bible Institute. So would you give him a warm Sycamore View welcome this morning? So Brandon, we're, we're really glad to have you Thank here. You. Uh, like I said, we met for the first time together, but I like your fashion taste. Thank you. It's, it's good, man. I've been a long time fan. It, it is good. It is good. We didn't talk about it, but uh, Brandon, we... Um, all of our congregation knows we're involved in Ukraine, yes. but they may know very little about the Ukrainian Bible Institute. So could you just give us an overview sure. of what that is? The Ukrainian Bible Institute was founded uh, in Donetsk, Southeast, tw over 27 years ago. And so for those 27 years, we have been training students in Bible and in ministry. This isn't a preacher training school. It's a school for anyone who wants to come and learn their Bible or learn how to bless others or tell others or work in their churches. So we've been strengthening churches. Um, the war that began in 2014 pushed us to Kiev, And then of course, the war that started two years ago yesterday uh, scattered us all over. And so though we're doing the same thing we've always done, for the last two years we've been completely online, which has been a challenge for sure, but it's also opened up amazing doors and we are now uh, we have Ukrainian students joining us from many different countries, all around Ukraine and all around Europe as well. And so we're reaching new students, and they join us for 18 months, they study God's Word, they learn skills, and they bless the churches they're a part of. Wow, that, that's amazing. So our mission, as you know, is helping people see Jesus here at Sycamore View. So uh, how, how would you say UBI is helping people see Jesus? Uh, Besides, besides the good that comes straight from that, UBI is also very involved in humanitarian aid work. Always has been, but of course, 
over the last two years, and our students have been reaching so many people, and UBI has been empowering churches through aid, which has been attracting people, through hospitality. We heard a story where one of our graduates said, we just let anybody stay at our house as they're trying to evacuate, get to the West, and people say, why would you be doing this? And it gives them an opportunity to share why. And giving uh, these grocery packages we give out every month, and we hear different stories. Uh, one, one student who's um, been giving out, the, calling in refugees to do this now says, we've got a youth ministry growing, and I never thought I would have a youth ministry built on groceries. These kids from families that come to the church because they need help are staying because of the relationships they're, they're finding. So through that humanitarian aid work, through the partners we have with all of our alumni all over Ukraine, there's just a ton of stories of people being pointed to Jesus. Well, praise God for yes. all that. I know you could fill up lots and lots Surely. of minutes telling uh, testimonies to God's goodness. Um, but thank you for your thank work. You so You've much. got two uh, fellow co-workers over here that are right. involved in UBI and other international missions. So thank you for choosing to be a part of our time together. And afterward, if you want to know anything about UBI or the work in Ukraine, um, look for Brandon. Uh, he's sitting right here, but you he may be sitting I'll over be there. Sitting but. Uh, he's the guy dressed like me that's not me. So uh, find Brandon. And also, uh, most of you know this, but in the hallway right outside the main church office, we have current information newsletters from UBI and all of our missionaries. And it's kind of hard to get to sometimes, but it is really interesting reading. Um, so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, you can also uh, just kind of stay tuned in the month of December or September this year. We'll have our 316 offering which will support UBI as well as all of our international missions. So um, I want to say a prayer over uh, Brandon and his, uh, his work. So will you bow with me, please? God, I just want to say thank you for being a global God. And God, as much as we sing about and know the intimacy with which you, you walk with us as individuals, you are a God of the, the cosmos. You are a God of the world, a God of the universe. And you know what is happening, and you are not uh, forgetful, and you are not absent, and you are not silent. And so we thank you for using Brandon and his ministry partners to be able to introduce the good news of Jesus uh, through the word and through churches and through love and care through groceries. And I just pray, uh, God, for I pray for a swift end to the conflict in Ukraine so that people can come home, so that children can uh, feel safe uh, so that families can reunite and rebuild together. And I pray you use UBI and Let's Love to make that happen. It's in the name of Jesus we all pray. Amen. Thank you. Man, exciting stuff. Uh, I'm excited to be here sharing a message with us this morning. Uh, Josh is celebrating his dad's retirement from ministry. 38 years He's been a preacher, and uh, they're in uh, Decatur, Texas this morning celebrating that. So I'm excited to be here and step into this series uh, that is a year-long series called uh, Engaging the Gospels Backwards. So we started with the Great Commission, and now we're spending six weeks during this Lenten season focusing on the cross and the idea of how Jesus became king, because usually it's with big parades and a lot of fanfare, but that's not the way Jesus became king. 
We're going to be this morning uh, in Matthew 26. If you're here in person or if you're at home, if you want to open there, we'll kind of be in there throughout the morning. But a question that I was wanting to ask this morning as we kind of jump into the message, some of us have children, some of us don't, all of us know children. Would you send kids to a school where the kids could never play outside and it had no windows? Hmm. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Ukraine. In fact, there's a city, the second largest city in Ukraine called Kharkiv. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly. It's 40 kilometers from the Russian border. And as this war has gone on the last couple of years, they have discovered that the safest place in the city is the subway. So they've started educating kids in the subway. And now the mayor has bought into this so much because it allows families and kids to stay in the city, stay at home, that they have, uh, he's begun building an underground school from scratch. And they're trying to build eight over the next uh, year or two that would each allow 900 children to be educated safely. So, knowing a little bit more about the why behind that, if I were to ask you, would you send your child to a school where they don't get to play outside, but they don't have windows, your answer might be different, right? Because you know the why behind the what. And that's the idea that I want to talk about this morning, is that knowing the why makes the what possible. Kip already mentioned this morning that we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about the cross. And we're going to see that Jesus uh, knows the why, and that's what makes him empowered to walk through or to get through Gethsemane. So in Matthew 26, our, te our text, it takes place in Gethsemane, but it happens right after Jesus foretells of his betrayal. The Last Supper has happened, or what we've come to call the Last Supper, the beginning of the Lord's Supper, I guess. And also he, he uh, has just foretold Peter's denial. So there's a lot going on in this context a lot of intimacy, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear. And Jesus grabs three of his guys, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was uh, a garden as a part of the Mount of Olives on the lower slopes uh, that overlooked Jerusalem. So this was a place that Jesus had gone to with his apostles many, many times for prayer. But this would be the last time Jesus would come to Gethsemane. He was coming to pray, but he would be leaving the garden in a way that he had never left before. So Matthew 26, verse 36 through 38, says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In this passage, number one, we got to see the depth of his pain. These words, sorrow, troubled, overwhelmed. Luke, in his account of this moment, he says he was, he was in anguish. This hurt Jesus. 
This is one of the most vulnerable, fully human moments that we have of the life of Christ. And for him to say, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, that indicates that Jesus in some way was yearning for just to come to an end. Is this going in and out as I talk? You sure? <laughs> Thank you. How's that? Is that better? You know, raise your hand if you want me to start over. Man, I got two. I got two. And one of them, I think, has been asleep so far. So, okay. Love you, David. But this is a moment, I don't, I don't want to use the term or even talk about Jesus being suicidal, but this is how people talk when they're just, they want something to be over. Like, this is serious pain that Jesus is in. And I think somehow we have this clandestine idea that Jesus, he's God. He didn't really feel pain, but he, he was in it. He was in a dark, hard place. And also see that he did not want to be alone. This phrase, stay here and keep watch with me. I think this was something that really stuck out to me in my studies the last couple weeks getting ready for this message. Jesus, I don't know if, if scared is right, but he did not want to be alone. Being in anguish is really hard. Being in anguish alone is terrifying. And, and we know that. And we see that Jesus is deeply concerned all throughout this passage that he's not left alone. And, and I hope that doesn't bother you to think that Jesus didn't want to have the company of his guy or wanted to have the company of his guys so bad that maybe there was even some anxious energy toward that. Because three times we're going to read here in just a second, Jesus says, stay with me, guys. Don't leave me alone. And, and all three times they let him down. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So we find Jesus laid out, literally, asking for this to go a different way than what he's anticipating. In Luke, Jesus is the one gospel writer that uses the term Abba, and Jesus addresses his father with the level of intimacy like a child would address a father saying, Daddy. That's the loose translation of Abba. And he's saying, Daddy, Papa, can you make this happen some other way? Let this cup pass. So I don't know exactly what the cup was. Jesus didn't seem overly bothered by physical pain in his life, so I don't know that that was really the cup, even though when we read this, we think, I don't want to be... I don't want to have to go through that. I can't imagine the physical pain. There was humiliation that was a part of it, but Jesus never seemed particularly tied to what people thought about him, right? So I, I don't know that the humiliation is the cup. He never cared to fit into people's stereotypes or categories and live life the way they thought a, a king should live. Maybe it's the persecution and the scattering of his followers, because that was real. And he knew that this was going to be unbearable for them. But I think ultimately the cup was 
probably primarily the separation from the Father. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, had existed in perfect cohesion, perfect community from the beginning of creation. And for a moment, there was going to be a split in that. But even with these impending painful points playing out, Jesus commits to getting through Gethsemane however the Father sees fit. Not my will, but your will. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's awful to be abandoned in your time of need. Even if you're the savior of the world, abandonment and separation is gut-wrenching. And all Jesus is saying is, could you guys just stay awake with me? Could you just pray with me? This is heartbreaking. So in verse 42, he went away for a second time and prayed, again, my father, if it is not possible for the cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. So three times Jesus says, please not this way, but if it's the way, I'll do it. And please don't leave me alone. And three times he gets no's. So at this point, his closest companions haven't been there for him. His father hasn't informed Jesus, evidently, that the plans have changed. And Judas is literally walking into the garden to betray him with a kiss. So how does Jesus keep moving forward through the pain, through the anxiety, through the abandonment, and through the betrayal? And one interesting thing, note, when you read that passage, he steps toward Judas. They don't have to come find him hiding somewhere, but he steps toward it. But the answer is Jesus knew the why behind the what he is being called to do. So Jesus is getting through Gethsemane because he knows the why behind the what. There's three different ways that the New Testament, there's lots of ways, but three different ways New Testament writers explain the why that I want to put forth today. Just these three verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Paul says the why is this, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So somehow, mystically, Jesus taking on the sin of the world allows us to stand sin-free and appear as righteous before God. That's a pretty big why. Second, 1 Peter 2, 24, remember, written by a guy who kept falling asleep in the garden. Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. And the last why, Kip already read this passage this morning, but it comes from Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. And part of that passage says, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus gets the big picture. And I think there are at least two big whys when it comes to Gethsemane moments, moments of anguish and sorrow that I think scripture can speak to us today. So here's two ways maybe that today this scripture can help us bring purpose to our pain. First, these Gethsemane moments, they hold the potential for us to become more like Christ in the moment. So it forms us into a particular kind of people. Whatever the pain and the injustice we are going through, that moment can have purpose if we let it form us into more empathetic, supportive people who can represent the comfort of God in other people's lives. It doesn't necessarily do that unless we make the conscious choice to step into it with the heart of Christ. But our pain can teach us how to become people who can keep watch and stay awake with each other. We can keep watch with each other in our addictions. We can keep watch with each other in our battles with cancer. We can keep watch with each other in our battles with loneliness. We can stay awake and keep watch with each other in our struggles with sexual identity. We can stay awake and we can keep watch with each other in our suicidal thoughts, in our grief from losing a parent or a child or a spouse, in our betrayal by a spouse, in our caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's. We can stay awake and keep watch with each other in our brokenheartedness of a child who has walked away from the Lord. All those situations are awful, but we don't have to be in them alone. We're all members of clubs that we didn't want to join, but here we are. So on our knees in Gethsemane, hoping things will get better and praying, at least we have someone to go through it with. Amen? Jesus knew going through Gethsemane could create people who will choose to stay awake and keep watch with each other when others need them the most. And secondly, these Gethsemane moments, they can give us eventual purpose with an eternal perspective. Now, it's kind of hard to know exactly when to say this, right? Because in the moment, when you're in so much pain and overwhelmed by grief, is not the time to say, hey, in the long run, God wins. But in the long run, God wins. I know we long for total salvation, for complete restoration, for Jesus' return, and for all that is wrong to be made right. And it's going, to, it's going to happen. I believe that with all my heart. And I can make that promise because Jesus promised that. So when life is imperfect and we're in Gethsemane, we can be reminded that this life is not only about this life. There is a life to come, and we have an eternal perspective instead of one that's measured in weeks or months or even years or decades, we see God's good purposes transcending history, all of history, giving good purpose to the beginning that was, the middle we are in, and the end that is most surely to come. God is in it and over it all. 
Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is temporary, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's the why. And somehow today, if knowing that being in a tough moment is forming you into the person that can be in a tough moment with somebody else, maybe they can make it through the what, or maybe you can make it through the what. Or if today, just realizing that ultimately God does win, there is an eternal perspective here, and what we're going through is awful as it is, as hard as it is, and I'm not dismissing anyone's pain, Jesus said, Paul says, it's not forever, guys. It's not forever. And I hope knowing that why will help make it through the what. So two what's, I want to end. Those were two why's. Here's two what's to walk out of here with today. Here's two challenges that I'd like, like us each to consider this week. And these will stay up during the Lord's Supper. But is there a painful sacrifice that is waiting? We know we should do it, but we don't want to. Is there something in our lives, like Jesus says, I don't want this cup, but if that's your will, Father, I'll do it. So I, I have a feeling my, my preacher count this morning is 514 people. I think there's 514 painful sacrifices in this room this morning that we would rather not do, we would rather not undergo, we would rather not step toward, but maybe it's God's will for us to do that. So that, that's one challenge. And the second challenge is invite someone into that journey with you. Whatever that Garden of Gethsemane moment is, please don't go through it alone. You don't have to. It is risky. It is scary. It is exposing to reach out to somebody with your heartbreak and say, I just need somebody in this moment. And, and we're not going to respond perfectly, but I, I genuinely believe I'm in a room full of people at a church full of people who know what it's like to hurt and know that nobody needs to hurt alone. And so this week, if, if you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, invite somebody into that journey. The Lord's Supper, it reminds us of these two things, right? It reminds us that there is sacrifice that is required of each of us because we say, I follow Jesus. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of King Jesus, so I'm going to follow him. And we take the body and we drink the, the blood each week to remind us that that was his destination, his journey. So, too, it is our journey. But we don't do it alone. And that's one reason, you know, some people are like, I wish we'd go back to passing plates. And in some ways, that might be better. But standing up and standing in a line together and moving together just reminds us physically 
that we are not in this journey to the cross and ultimate resurrection life by ourselves. We're in it with a whole bunch of people. And so this morning, um, if this is your first time here, we do take the Lord's Supper. We remember the bread and the cup uh, that Jesus brought to the Last Supper as his body and his blood. And all are invited to come to the table. We've got six tables around the room, and uh, there will be some music playing in the background. But we want this just to be a, a time of communion for you and God, for us and each other, too. So you can talk, you can pray with each other, you can huddle up. All that is welcome into this space. If you want to pray specifically with somebody that maybe is, is uh, ready to receive you, we will have two people that will be at each side. Two of our ladies, Suzanne Marrero, will be over here. I think Rachel Galbraith will be over here. Uh, and in the back, Brent Patterson, one of our shepherds, will be there. And Efren Marrero will be up front. If you have something publicly that you want to share with the church, you can share that with Efren. And I'll be over here. But this morning, I just, I, I, I want to say we're all people who travel through the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't have to do it alone. So let's pray, and after the prayer, you can come to the table and partake. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for the sacrifice and for choosing the Father's will over your own. Empower us through this supper to be able to do the same thing. It's in Jesus' name we pray.